That's a chopper left side to his right. Swanson, he has it. Throws to first in time. And congratulations to the Atlanta Braves, the 2021 World Series champions. The 0-2. Left side, Swanson to first. The only thing that was going through my mind, to be honest. A lot of feelings, mixed emotions. So if I just want to say thank you for all your support. My time here was amazing. Seven greatest years of my life. You know, he's not a free agent yet, and well, I know we're going to try to resign him. And like, like I told you last time, I, I haven't lost my, my hopes. To me, we, we did all we could, you know, to get to this point. You know, I mean, I had a bunch of, you know, young guys that had never been in this situation. They, you know, they played. You know, like, I'm proud of these guys. I'm real proud of these guys. I feel really happy. Um, you know, you always say you want to win the last game you play every year, and we finally, you know, the first time in my entire life I've won the last game I played. So uh, it's just special to do it with all these guys. You know, we, we fought all year long. We've missed some key guys, and we just never gave up. You just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. All right, I'm going to technically correct Freddie Freeman there. Surely he's played a year where they missed the playoffs but won the last game of the season. Like, surely that's happened to the Atlanta Braves so far. That was um, Will Smith. I'm not bitter. Oh, that was Will Smith. All right, Will Smith. Whatever. I'm not bitter about it, Will Smith. Um, all right, I do have a, a story that I, I think you'll enjoy. Uh, it's actually it's not much of a story, but just about the seventh inning last night, a Braves fan that was in front of me was talking to an Astros fan. And he spent a solid three or four minutes trying to explain why the chop wasn't racist because the Braves uh, do a lot, give a lot of resources to Native Americans. That's that was it. That was the whole argument. I feel like I mean, there, fell a little short. It wasn't my, it, there wasn't really an argument. I think the Astros fan just said something like, hey, man, isn't that racist? And that was his response was no, no, no. The Braves give a lot of resources to Native Americans, so it's OK. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, imagine <laughs> telling a, imagine telling like a crowd of people who uh, you know, someone asks if you have a crowd of people who show up in blackface, like, hey, isn't that a little bit racist? And they're like, no, we give tons of resources to the African American community, no problem. <laughs> well, if we look uh, to the future, because it's more fun for me, uh, odds to win the twenty twenty two World Series according to BetMGM. Dodgers are the favorites at five to one Astros number two at eight to one Braves and Yankees tied for third at 10 to one and the White Sox and Rays tied for fifth at 12 to one first thought here Dodgers being favorites and, and pretty big favorites compared to the rest of the field I know they're going to spend money I know they still have a good roster but given that they might lose Scherzer Kershaw Taylor Seager Jansen Joe Kelly like should they be the prohibitive favorites to win the World Series? I'm going to ask you a question that plays off that. Should anybody be the favorite yeah. to win the World Series? Because as I look down this list, there's not one team that I feel confident is going to make it to the World Series. I mean, the Dodgers, you just mentioned everybody that they're losing. The Astros, certainly by that quote we just heard, should be prepared to lose Carlos Correa. Uh the Braves, look, it was a fantastic story, but we know how hard it was for them to make it to this point. The Yankees, no. No. No, 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 no. This team, as presently constructed, might not make the playoffs. Uh, the White Sox at 12-1. to 1, the, oh God, are we going to do this again with the Rays? Like, I, I honestly feel like, what are the Rays going to lose? And they're going to get Tyler Glass now back. 
Like they're going to lose Nelson Cruz. Okay. Uh, Padres 16, Brewers 16. If the Brewers go out and get some offense this winter, maybe because that starting pitching is as good as anybody's. But really, who, which of these teams do you feel at all confident about? I confident, yeah, confidence not the right word, I think, to describe it. I mean, I might be a homer, but we had this conversation a couple weeks ago. Uh, the Astros, I mean, they 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 probably lose Carlos Correa. He's probably going to get a massive contract somewhere else, but that's really it. I mean, they were top two, I think, in AL uh, ERA this year. Basically, everybody's back on their starting rotation, even though it didn't go very well in the postseason. Uh, and their offense was one of the best in baseball all season. They're going to lose one significant bat, but everybody else should be back. Like confidence-wise, they're they're probably the ones I feel the most confident about. Maybe the White Sox. Like I, I don't know that they were great, but they are also going to have pretty much everybody back from their team, and they're relatively young. Those are probably the two teams I'd say. Yeah, I I, I feel pretty good about them. And I mean, ultimately, the Dodgers too. I just don't know that they should be lapping the field in terms of being a favorite so i think if you're looking at this board right now and saying who are you willing to bet on for next year padres at 16 to 1 i actually kind of like because that team was far too talented to have the outcome that it did this year and you put in a steady hand in bob melvin to manage that team you get a healthy blake snell a healthy you darvish you get mike clevenger back at some point during the season and maybe maybe mackenzie gore gets fixed to come up from the minors and then you have a dominant rotation uh the brewers i already mentioned uh, what about the red sox at 18 to 1 you get a full season of chris sale you're probably going to go out and improve that rotation in some in some way in this offseason it's a team that made it you know all the way to uh the uh, division series so I don't know. I, overall, I look at it and I say there are some teams I would bet on, but there's nobody I look at the same way we looked at the Dodgers last year and say, oh, prohibitive favorite, right? Just start with what you said about Scherzer, Trevor Bauer, uh, and Kershaw, Seeger, et cetera, et cetera. There's just no way I can put that team at the top. Yeah, I, I think the the fear I'd have, like you mentioned, the Red Sox is just the division they're in. Like even if they improve their roster. Are they going to be better than Toronto and Tampa next year? Yeah, like where's like, where are the Blue Jays on this list? By the way, I don't know. Seriously, <laughs> like if the Mets are twenty to one, I would much rather that lineup right now, as constructed right this moment, and when you consider the fact of who the Dodgers and the Astros are probably going to lose, that's the best lineup in baseball, and it's not even all that close. Uh, looking, so that was from BetMGM, uh, BetOnline.ag. Uh, they have the Toronto Blue Jays at sixteen to one. So right yeah. there with the Padres and Brewers. Yeah, which makes perfect sense um, because uh, I mean, look, they they've got to figure out a way to either bring back Robbie Ray or to uh, replace that spot. But that team is just a little bit of pitching away from being the best team in the American League. So on the idea of, hey, there, there isn't a favorite, also, baseball here, uh, Mark Marmore tweeted out, uh, with the Braves win, there have been 15 different champions in the World Series this century, which is we're now 21 years into. 15 different teams have won the World Series in 21 years. Uh, 21 different teams have been to a World Series, and 27 of the 30 have been to at least the AL or NL CS only the Padres Reds and Pirates have not. So it's like, this is parody wise. I mean, this, is this better than the NFL? 
eh, I don't know if it's better than the NFL because the NFL has the salary cap to to keep the parity in play. And now we're heading into an offseason with baseball where uh, the salary structure might end up getting completely flipped over. Who knows if we're going to have a regular start to next season? Like, yeah, the results are there. I mean, there's no question about it. I think it's also because certain teams have not adapted well uh, to the newer environment, the Yankees being one of them. Uh, where you know player development has really become the thing. It's rare that big free agents like a Carlos Correa hit the market. Um, I think ultimately Major League Baseball does have a problem to try to solve here because we started this past season saying there are 10 teams that are really going for it and there are like 20 teams that aren't. And uh, maybe half of those teams kind of stumbled their way into being in contention this year, but in the NFL, really, what do you have each year? Maybe two or three teams that you feel like are tanking at the beginning of the season? Baseball had at least half this year. Well, one of those teams won the World Series. Were the Braves tanking this year? I, I mean, tanking. They not were not really tanking. Fun. By a long shot, you don't tank with Ronald Acuna. I mean, sure, but it's not like the Braves. I mean, listen, Alex Anthopoulos has gotten a lot of credit for his deadline moves, but let's be real. He traded for Eddie Rosario, Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, and Adam Duvall. Like, it's not Dude, like I've, you thought I've got the ALC or NLCS and World Series MVP at the deadline. Hey, I've I have given you a lot of leeway this morning. I know how you're feeling right now, but if you want to go down that road, you're just indicting your own team in the end. I'm aware. I am fully aware that the Astros' last two World Series losses have been the teams that weren't any good. It's oh, it's brutal. There it is. Let it out. Let it out. It's okay. You're in a Houston Airbnb. Nobody can hear you. It's such a nightmare. It's such a nightmare. I'm not. This 2019 was still worse because that was the best team the Astros have ever put on the field. But the, it's brutal. Two two World Series losses in three years, and both times I walk away thinking that team sucked. I mean, the Nationals have been terrible for the last two years. Granted, they lost quite a bit of that roster, but like. Are the Braves even going to make the playoffs next year? I don't even think they're going to make the playoffs next year. Like, they were, they're what? They're 10-1 to 1 on that list, but that's just a, hey, they won the World Series. They're not making the playoffs they've, next year. They've won four straight NL East championships. Why wouldn't the they playoffs. make the playoffs next year? It's not happening. No, nope, they're not making the playoffs. It's just it's just not it's going to be Why, do you just want to feel worse? Like, do you just, you just want to yes. feel worse about the whole thing? Is that really? Yes. I, I don't know why, but yes, it, it makes me feel better about it when I can tell you the team sucks. You don't want to lose to a good team. You don't want to feel like your team, which was the favorite in the series, lost to a better team. Listen, hey, hey, we talked about it during the regular season, Adam. The Astros, dominant against good teams. Not very good when they got to play bad teams, which proves my point. The Braves suck. Okay, well, um, I'm glad that and a $250 Airbnb will be the story of your day. <laughs> uh, I do want to ask you as a Yankees fan, do they go after Carlos Correa? This is one of those weird things where I think the George Steinbrenner Yankees absolutely would have gone after Carlos Correa. I don't think the Hal Steinbrenner Yankees are going to for two reasons. One, I don't think they're going to pay him the kind of contract that somebody else is. But two, I think they are truly still butthurt about the Astros and the cheating scandal. And I'm not sure they want to try to sell Carlos Correa to the fan base. Okay. I, I was curious about the reasoning, too, because that is a... Carlos Correa has been like the main player that's out in front, not afraid to like he trash talk Cody Bellinger at one point back in 2020, like not afraid to lean into it and basically take the brunt of all the criticism. 
been the biggest face, him and Altuve, and I I was curious if that's like as a Yankees fan, if I told you today they're gonna sign Carlos Correa, are you happy about that? Look, I am a Yankees fan who roots for a team that has had a role as Chapman on the roster for the last few years. Doesn't and mean you have to be happy about it. I'm not happy about it. Okay. I don't like the fact that a guy who you know has been suspended for domestic violence, the same way Domingo Herman has been for them, is part of the roster. Um, that being said, we have to understand these are all business transactions in the end. We're rooting for businesses. Like we root for teams, yeah, but we root for businesses. And Carlos Correa is going to get paid by someone. If the Yankees think that he's the right guy, then he's obviously an upgrade over what they have. The guy had nearly a six war uh, this year. And the reason Carlos Correa is going to get paid before all the rest of them is that he hit free agency a year younger than everyone else. He's 27 years old. He's going to start next season at 27 years old. If you give him a 10-year contract, you're getting five or six prime years, which is usually not something you have the option to do. And that is, as an Astros fan, even though I probably would understand from a front office standpoint, not smart to give him the 10 years, that reasoning, though, is why I think it would actually, you could actually argue that it's okay. Because the Astros, given the contracts of their young pitchers, given the contracts of Altuve, Bregman, and Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez, They've got a four- to five-year window here where they can still be an AL West champion every year, most of the years, and still be a World Series contender. And Carlos Correa's prime of that 10-year contract would match up with that pretty well. So I could understand, yeah, you're going to eat it for the last four or five years of that contract, but they'll probably suck at that point anyway. So shouldn't be as big of a deal. Coming up next, Sam and Ash join the show. Guys, guys, did you know that I actually have a civil case against that that stole my husband? Don't sue a stripper. Why not? She's a stripper. Life sued her, and she lost. Call Sam Nash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samnashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. We only got Ash today. No Sam, no Ed. Just the two of us. <laughs> There's a song about that, right? I think. Yeah, maybe. I don't know many songs, though. Uh, but. Yeah, I was going to okay. say, you asked the wrong person. Okay, Jared, is there a song called <laughs> yes, Just the Two of Us? Thank yes, you. There is. Thank you. Listen, Ash, we did an entire segment earlier on the show. We're giving away Rolling Stones tickets where Jared asked me a phrase, and I had to identify if it was a Rolling Stones song or if it was an old baseball player's nickname, and I <laughs> did not do very well. Well, I did better than expected, but did not do very well. You weren't confident, uh, I will say no, that. No confidence at all. None at all. <laughs> uh, we did that whole segment for 10 minutes, and I couldn't name one Rolling Stones song, even though that was less than an hour ago. Uh, but a uh, story involving now a former uh, Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver, Henry Ruggs, who is being charged with DUI resulting in death after he uh, slammed into the back of another car, causing the car to catch fire and killing the driver of that car. Uh, so I guess, first question here, the the two to 20 years that's been reported as far as the uh, sentence, for Henry, or if he's guilty, the punishment for Henry Ruggs here, that is that how, how do they decide if it's two or if it's 20? Like what matters to figure out if it, how long he would be in prison? Yeah, that's a great question. So actually here in Nevada, they do indeterminate sentencing. So it's a range. So a judge will come down and they will give a range, which is two to 10. It, it, that's not likely. It's usually something along the lines of eight to 20 
or like six to twelve, six to eighteen, or something like that. Where basically what it is, your your minimum going to send it. Your your minimal at a minimum, you are going to serve the low number, and then after that number, assuming you've behaved while in prison and you know you haven't gotten into further trouble, you're eligible for parole. And so that's usually how it works. There's a range. Uh, we have had some reporting this morning. Uh, Henry yeah, it's not Ruggs, good. Yeah, that Henry Ruggs was driving over 150 miles an hour a few seconds prior to impact. That he's going over 120 at impact when the airbags uh, deployed. His uh, blood alcohol limit was over twice the legal limit. I, I guess from a standpoint here, not to necessarily do, you know, judge, jury, and, and conviction Also on the radio, illegally in it, possession. Yeah, also illegal in possession of a firearm. Oh, so it, it 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 seems about as as open and shut of a case as you can have, right? Sure. I mean, th- look, these initial facts, there's always two sides to every story. These initial facts are not good because, you know, they're what we call objective evidence right now. We're looking at the blood alcohol level, which is a 0.161, as you said, twice the legal limit. Um, we've pulled the black, they've pulled the black box data. You know, every vehicle on the roadway after a certain year has a black box in it. You know, we always hear about that in car crashes or plane crashes, but they also exist in vehicles and they tell you a lot of information about speed, deceleration, seatbelts, airbags, etc. And so you're now hearing the objective evidence of what the speed was at the time the airbags deployed, not good, unreasonably excessively fast. Um, so that's all objective evidence. The, the defense attorneys here, they're going to start to attack, well, was the blood drawn done accurately? Was there any mistesting done? Was there anything like that? Was there, you know, and they're going to look at the black box data, is there any defect or deficiency there? Trying to undercut this evidence, but it's going to be very hard. This is a very tough case, and it's very much probably why the Raiders immediately cut ties within a few hours of hearing this. We have, unfortunately, talked to you guys about a few incidents where, you know, Josh Jacobs was arrested on suspicion of DUI. He ultimately wasn't charged with that. He had a single car accident uh, last fall. Zayon Collins, the Bishop Corman basketball player that was uh, signed to come play at UNLV. Uh, he is still going through his case with his DUI uh, car crash that uh, killed a man. How, how, do, how, how do we keep having this? Like, how is this still a part of our society? I absolutely agree. It's unreal that this is a, 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 dis, a discussion we continue to have to have, especially with people that they should know better. You know, these are professional athletes. Uh, you know, private school, educated high school student with a lot of promise in sports. These are mistakes that, you know, the people around them are failing them. And, you know, I, Sam and I constantly advocate for personal responsibility. At the end of every day, what you do that day is on you. But I, I was thinking about this on the way in today to the office because I drove by Allegiant and I go, with these young players, especially players that are drafted, I'm starting to feel the sense that the organization itself owes some type of responsibility to mentor them better and do better as an organization to, tr- to make better citizens in the community. That's ultimately what the Raiders are. They're not just a show in town. They're a part of our community. And right now they're failing us. And it's really sad because they're role models to the next generation. And these are decisions that 
aren't made when you're drunk. They're made when they're sober and it's terrible and lives are lost and it's senseless. And, you know, Henry Ruggs has a, a history with losing a friend in a car accident in high school. And so for him to make these decisions that day with it's just unex inexcusable. Uh, I did want to ask, too, about uh, John Gruden here, because he is, according to a report from CBS Sports, considering suing uh, the NFL uh, over his termination, his the emails that he had sent were leaked. Uh, I am curious how it works, because he, Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, has said they came to a settlement with John Gruden, where the rest of his contract, they're gonna, they didn't tell us how much, but they'll pay a certain amount. He was owed approximately $50 million for the rest life of that contract. Um, how does it work in terms of can you sue the NFL if you reached a settlement with one of the teams in the NFL? Like how how does that process work out in terms of not being allowed to sue them if you're getting paid by one of their teams? Right. So this is actually very interesting. What Gruden's position is is to the NFL, he goes, "I have a contract with the Raiders organization." And you, the NFL, by your conduct through this investigation and your leaking of emails and the timeline of when these emails were leaked versus when they were discovered versus all the other emails that exist and we haven't heard about, uh, you intentionally interfered with my contract with this other organization. And as a result, I have a lot of damages, a lot of monetary damages that are in play. And so now you owe me that money because you messed with my livelihood, you messed with a contract, and you knew it could have significant consequences. And so, look, they're, they're going to look at whether what the settlement he reached, the amount he was paid through um, the Raiders organization and Mark Davis, and that might offset what the damages are that the NFL owes him. But still, that, I think he's got a great argument. How strong of a counter argument to John Gruden is it to simply say, well, you sent those emails and you resigned over those emails, regardless of how they got leaked out, you still sent them. Sure. It, that's part of the discussion. And the other argument the NFL is going to make is, look, we, we just discovered the emails. How they got out wasn't on us. Also, it ultimately was up to Mark Davis and the Raiders to terminate you. But this is something that happens all the time in employment. You know, if, if you're an employer and one of your former employees or current employees, someone else outside of the organization leaks something to me with the pure intention of disrupting that employment relationship and you know as an employer you terminate the employee and they figure out why they've got a case and so you know it's it's going to be really interesting and I'm no fan of Roger Goodell I think a lot of shady stuff's gone on I think you know their stance on social justice issues versus livelihoods here how many deaths and injuries have we seen related to or assaults and like violent crimes related to NFL players and staff and administration. And I don't see any anything about that. So look, I, I'm not a fan of the NFL. I think they, they have a lot of power and they need to be put in their place. How, so the NFL has claimed that they did not leak the emails. Um, how, for John Gruden, I assume to sue them, he'd have to prove that they are the ones that leaked emails. How difficult is that to prove, yes, the NFL gave the emails to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, the outlets that published them. Well, Gruden's going to go, look, the emails are out. And they're, everyone's going to do discovery to figure out how they came to light to his organization, to the Raiders. How did Mark Davis, how did these emails end up on Mark Davis's desk? One, 
that's going to be a critical question. And as soon as that's answered, subpoenas are going to start flying. Subpoenas are going to fly on everyone, you know, uh, Roger Goodell, everyone involved in that investigation of the Washington football team. All of that is going to come out. And then the attorneys for Mark or for Gruden are going to go through everything and try and figure out how they did get leaked and whether or not there's a direct tie and and malicious intent behind it from the NFL. It's tough, but someone will do it. Well, she is Ash at SalmonAshLaw.com. Maybe just AshLaw.com today. But SalmonAshLaw.com, <laughs> 702-820-1234 is the phone number. Ash, as always, we appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, Tyler. Thank you. Bye, Jared. Bye. See ya. So coming up next, we'll get into Bischoff's briefs and quite possibly what could be the biggest college football game that we'll never have. Bischoff's Briefs. I'm asking you if you know the difference between right and wrong. I discovered at a very early age that if I talk long enough, I could make anything right or wrong. Bischoff's Briefs. So either I'm God or truth is relative. Bischoff's Briefs. And in either case, booyah. Bischoff's Briefs. In just a few minutes, we are going to have Rolling Stones tickets to give away. So stay tuned. But Bischoff's Briefs today has a great idea. Assuming we get through the end of this season with the same winless teams as we have right now in college football, uh, there is a great opportunity. Both UNLV and Arizona have yet to win a game this season. They are the only two teams in college football, Division I college football, that have not won a football game. It's very possible that they both go 0-12. Arizona's remaining schedule is Cal, Utah, at Washington State, and at Arizona State. UNLV's remaining schedule is at New Mexico, Hawaii, San Diego State, and at Air Force. Uh, UNLV-wise, there's the next two weeks, I think you consider winnable games at New Mexico and Hawaii. Neither one of those teams are particularly good. Uh, so they could win those. I don't think you would consider San Diego State or Air Force, either one of those, uh, to be winnable. But what I think should happen, and maybe this should happen every year if we have two uh, winless teams at the end of the year, there should be an extra bowl game. And these two teams should play in it to give one of them a win. Somebody needs to get out of there with a win. UNLV or Arizona, snap the losing streak. And we can crown the ultimate loser of the college football season. Now, to make this actually happen, you have to make it like relevant to the players and the coaches of this game. Because what you see in a lot of instances with bad teams is people don't care anymore. But I think from a just an interest standpoint of sort of pointing and laughing, fans people would care. People would tune in to watch. If you make this like, the first game of the bowl season, it's 0-12 versus 0-12. Because, like, one of the fun parts of European soccer is you got relegation. So you actually tune in to watch the bad teams play. It's interesting. There's drama there. So, winning team to help the coaches and the program. Winning team gets five extra scholarships for the next season. Right now, that helps the coaches and the program. That doesn't actually help the players that have to play in the game. So... Got to get this game on TV. But also, let's get a sponsorship in here, and there could be some sort of cash prize for the winning team. 
because I want it to be set up where it's it's a good enough cash prize that at the end of the year, you've got teams that went 1-11 thinking, damn, I wish I went 0-12 so I could have played in that game. But you have some sort of cash prize. It's NILs, it's all legal. Let's go. Some sort of cash prize where the players that win the game get something and they're motivated and want to play in this game. We need 0-12 Arizona against 0-12 UNLV. I actually was with you at the point where you're like, let's get one of these teams a win. And then it was the only positive thing you said in the what? entire set of statements. What? Only positive thing. Everything else was, and we can then crown the biggest loser It'd in college football. I think the way we make this happen for UNLV and Arizona in particular this year is you promise everybody that you get a basketball game too. Right? Like if you get a UNLV Arizona <laughs> basketball game as part of the ticket for buying your way into the UNLV Arizona football game, <laughs> I think you might get people pretty interested. Now, I don't know, Tyler, if you believe uh, the Vegas odds makers, New Mexico is only a one and a half point favorite uh, against UNLV this week. Uh, this could though. kill the dream. It could. It could kill the dream. Still a favorite, though. Very important there. Uh, but it could kill the dream because New Mexico is not very good. The Okay, the amazing thing about UNLV is they should have three wins on the season. Like, some, something along that, that, that number. Like, they lose the opening game of the year against Eastern Washington, and I feel pretty confident saying that if Marcus Arroyo had made the right decision as far as who the starting quarterback was to start week one, if Doug Brumfield starts that game, they beat Eastern Washington. Like, it... it that happens. Doug Brumfield came in and almost brought him back to beat him anyways. But like, that's one decision. And then we've had multiple games where, you know, UNLV has a seven minutes to go down and try to tie the game. And they, they run out of time, multiple games where they just haven't even tried to score on the last possession before halftime. And they lose by one possession. Like there's legitimately like three wins or so out on the schedule that UNLV probably should have this year. And they don't like this doesn't, it's not necessarily an 0-12 type team, even though they might get there, but they might get there at 0-12 because, you know, the coaching has cost them games. What is an 0-12 type team, though? Because in order to lose every game on the schedule, it has to be a combination of factors. It can't just be, is it an 0-12 team in terms of talent? you got to be an 0-12 team all the way around. Talent, coaching, and obviously schedule factors into it to some degree, too, because there are only two winless teams in FBS right now. Right, and I am proud to say that my Northern Arizona Lumberjacks <laughs> beat this Arizona team, and so I don't want to see them get a win all year. I want I want to see them go down in flames. It's fun, uh, but overall, when it comes to is this a winless team or not, uh, in the end, you got to go back to you are what your record says you are. Yeah, and yeah. they are. They're 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 a winless football team in part because of the coaching decisions, in part because of the talent deficit. Uh, you know, in part because of some bad breaks. I mean, let's go back to the Eastern Washington game. The last play of the game, that should have been targeting. The, the UNLV should have had another shot at that. So, you know, there's some you have to have some other breaks go against you as well. I was going to use your Northern Arizona as well in this scenario. That's, that's where we're playing this Arizona-UNLV game. We're playing it at the walk-up Sky Dome? In, uh, yeah, in Flagstaff, it, that, that's about as close to halfway in between as we. That can actually, get, right? actually, it is. It is roughly three and a half to yeah. four hours to both places. So yeah, that is actually uh, that is perfect. Um, you will be 
likely trudging through snow uh, for both of these teams to go down. Perfect. Why, and why play would we want a big difference? That's, that's exactly no, and, and then you will be inside one of the most sterile college football facilities <laughs> in the entire country <laughs> that will convey the excitement that most people have of watching this game. Yeah, I mean, it'll be the normal crowd for both teams, right? Yeah, I mean, look, at NAU, family weekend and homecoming, you can get about 9,000 people in the stands. And I think for both of these teams, that would feel like a victory. I've been to Flagstaff once. It seems like a pretty cool city. Flagstaff is a great city. Uh, it is actually uh, during the summer when it's a million degrees in Phoenix and Tucson. That's where all of the rich people go. They go up to Flagstaff to go cool off in the tall pines. We went, my uh, girlfriend's cousin graduated from uh, northern Arizona and we drove down for her graduation and it was snowing and the car that we were in has like a, had sensors to let you know when you were too close about to hit another car. The snow packed on so much to the front of the car that the sensor was going off nonstop while we were driving. Yeah. 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 I actually, <laughs> my very, my very first uh, Christmas coming home, I came home to Vegas and then I was getting ready to go back and I remember this so clearly it was the night of the AFC championship game between the Jags and the Broncos the the, the miracle Mark Brunel team and I get on the road and I waited too long because I was watching the game and all of a sudden I get past Kingman and there is this hell snowstorm coming down like I am drafting semis to try to get my way up the mountain because of course Flagstaff is at 7,000 feet uh, and you're making your way up high. I eventually had to stop in Seligman, Arizona for the night uh, and go and get a, a very, very, very sketchy motel uh, where the guy informed me that they only had one room left and I'm getting ready to get you know the price jacked up on me for $49. <laughs> like, so if the price was jacked up to $49, I knew that obviously uh, the regular rate suggested I shouldn't be there, but there were no other choices. Uh, so maybe you could have fun things like that where one of the football teams has to stop at a random motel along the roadside to stay the night before. Uh, we only there... charge by the hour. <laughs> was there oatmeal on top of the fridge in your $40 room? Growing naturally, yeah. Um, I'm not sure that it was something that was intended to be breakfast the next morning. <laughs> All right. We've got Rolling Stones tickets. What did we decide? Caller six? Is that how many I got? Caller right? six. It's caller six. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see the Rolling Stones out at Allegiant Stadium, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We will take caller number six right now. Bunting skates to center, rink wide right, Nylander speeds in, he shoots, he scores! William Nylander, 4-0 Toronto, three minutes into the third period. Fourth goal in 10 games for William Nylander. You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Michael. He won a pair of tickets to go see the Rolling Stones at Allegiant Stadium. Now, a couple things. First off, I just want to read this tweet because this is an incredible stat. Cade Cunningham, who was the first overall pick in the NBA draft, uh, is the first player in NBA history to take eight or more field goal attempts in his first two career games and shoot under 15% in both games. Uh, so Cade Cunningham, not going well for the start of his NBA career. Uh, but there's a fun story. Bobby Valentine lost 
a uh, mayoral election in Connecticut, and he is apparently upset at both the media and for people that voted twice. Uh, a couple quotes. One, someone says maybe I'm supposed to thank the media for all the lousy coverage that they gave us, or maybe even compliment Simmons' team, the guy he lost to, for the campaign they ran. But I can't do that with an open heart and a clear mind, so I'm just going to say the campaign is over. He also said, it makes my stomach turn to think that in our city that they're actually telling me now, oh, someone voted in person and they forgot they voted absentee. So he's accusing people of voting more than once. This is this is a very good story for Bobby Valentine. This is so wholly unsurprising, <laughs> by the way. I I have some... I have some family friends who who know Bobby Valentine pretty well, and this is pretty much par for the course uh, for for Bobby Valentine. But hey, you know, uh, at least he's used to dealing with close losses uh, <laughs> in, his, uh, in his DNA. Um, listen, t- listen, the story. There's a story on uh, Yahoo Sports from Jack Bear. I, I just want to read you his lead. Bobby Valentine has recorded another loss during the World Series. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So, Tyler, I Tyler, I did a little bit of research and I have some thoughts for you. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't know they're, if they're I'm base, ready for these. They're baseball related. They're baseball okay. related. Okay. The Cockerel Butterfly Center. Uh the water wall, uh, which is the largest water fountain in the United States, the National Museum of Funeral History. Uh, these are all things that are open today in the city of Houston that you can choose to go do with your friend who's driving up from Austin. I vote for the National Museum of Funeral History. Uh, This sounds like an experience you can't really get anywhere else. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, The museum, owned by a funeral company, houses the largest collection of funeral artifacts in the United States, traces the history of funeral services, displays historic hearses, and provides memorabilia memorabilia from funerals of the famous <laughs> such as Dwight Eisenhower, Martin Luther King Jr., John F. Kennedy, and Elvis Presley. They suggest that you leave two to three hours though to see the entire museum. What? Why would there be a museum about funeral history? Well, I mean, it's owned by a funeral company. Doesn't that seem about right? I'm looking what? through the pictures right now. There, there's some, uh, there, there's some interesting stuff here. I mean, this this hearse has like a like a like a horse drawn carriage look to it, with a little uh, oval window on the side so you can see the casket. What is the funeral memorabilia? I don't know. I mean, it looks like they have. We need you uh, to go find out. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. It looks like they have hours from ten to four, um, and let's see. Oh, they do tours. They do tours. So if you're feeling like you're, you're looking for a little something special today, uh, there is the National Museum of Funeral History. Uh, if that doesn't tickle your fancy, uh, there's the Lone Star Flight Museum. And there's oh the Houston Graffiti Building. How about the Houston Graffiti Building? That sounds interesting. It doesn't sound that interesting. What, what was the butterfly one? The, oh, the, the Cockrell Butterfly Center. Let's find out more about the Cockrell Butterfly Center. These are things you can do in Houston when there's not Game 7 to be played in the World Series. Uh, next to the Houston Museum of Natural Sciences, this glass-enclosed butterfly habitat includes a simulated rainforest and thousands of colorful butterflies, a dramatic 50-foot waterfall, and exotic plants transport visitors. And this Ooh. one you can get through in an hour, according to TripAdvisor. Ooh, you could do both. 
That sounds significantly better than anything else you mentioned that I should go to. Well, I think that you could have a little bit of balance in your day. If you go and see the Cockrell Butterfly Center, that's like a life-affirming experience. And if you go see the Funeral History Museum, it's like a death-affirming experience. <laughs> and after last night, you need that. I, after, I mean, you kind of ran the gamut of those emotions last night, I understand. What, what disturbs me, actually, is that when I look through all of the, uh, the best things to do in Houston, according to TripAdvisor, number two is Sea Minute Maid Park. Yeah, I don't think it's the greatest city to like visit and like, oh, there's cool things to do here. I, I don't think there's that much cool stuff to do here. What I'm what, probably going to do mm -hmm. is I'm probably going to walk down to the team store and see if anything's on sale the day after they lost the World Series. And then I'm probably going to go watch the Champions League at a bar somewhere. I think that the Correa jerseys are likely to be 50% off if you're looking for a little special something for yourself. Uh, here's, here's the problem. The, the George Springer ones aren't on sale online yet. Oh, They're still full God. price. It's ridiculous. I, I would think you would have Jared tracking this for you since he's the king of half-price jerseys. I should. I should. But, yeah, no, they, they could have bought a Korea jersey last night. That would have been a terrible investment. Ooh, ooh. I mean, we kind of talked about this at the beginning, but the NASA Johnson Space Center, Houston's first Smithsonian affiliate, uh, a trip sent, a TripAdvisor Certificate of Excellence awardee. Uh, it's uh, now it is a three hour tour, uh, much like, uh, you know, much like Gilligan's Island. You probably won't know that reference either. Uh, tickets from twenty four ninety five. Uh, it's known as the home of NASA mission control. Come on. That sounds like a way to get yourself into something that has nothing to do with baseball. I, I have an important question. Did the funeral museum, was that a TripAdvisor award of excellency? Uh, no, it actually was listed <laughs> as the number 14 thing to do in houston uh it has a four and a half star rating based on 536 reviews before we get out of here let's check out what some of the people had to say about their trips uh to <laughs> the national uh it seems creepy but it's actually very interesting when we have visitors to town we take them there last time we went we took my parents the new cremation exhibit was very interesting if oh, you're a catholic you need to see the pope exhibit very affordable and the staff is friendly the new cremation exhibit is interesting, which implies that this person saw the old cremation wait, exhibit as wait, well. Wait, wait, uh, This review is a three-star review. Only if you have time. Nasty smell. Feels like a random hoarder's collection. Very disjointed. The place smells terrible like formaldehyde. And that's just about my Airbnb. I have a wicked headache after an hour from the smell. <laughs> 